Let's do it. It's nuts out there right now. Let us do it now. <clears throat> it's a jungle. Right. A jungle of toilet paper fiends. <laughs> That's the title. <laughs> the jungle of toilet paper fiends. jungle. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show was going to be titled Controversial Opinions, but we're now calling it The Jungle of Toilet, toilet paper, paper Fiends. Fiends, yep. there you go. The Jungle <laughs> of Toilet Paper Fiends. Not, not so much one topic as a general opportunity to air various disagreements and actually hopefully model how we can disagree without becoming enemies. I'm your host Peter Holmes and today I'm joined by my friend at the present, <laughs> Renee, <laughs> Renee Coleryan, Professor yes. in Philosophy at the University of Notre Dame. Hello, we shall Renee. see how long this lasts. Yes, <laughs> and Ryan Galliott, artist, resident geek and co-host. Hello Peter. Also a co-host, not quite a guest, Cormac McCann back um, after a brief hiatus and uh, our discussions about lots of things including mortgages how to join in the argument. Yeah, a long-awaited return. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. We're not sure who was waiting, but we know there was one. <laughs> okay. I was waiting. Before we get started, just a reminder that if you like the show, you should subscribe on your podcast app. That way you won't miss an episode. Okay, I'll get things kick-started with uh, something a bit trivial, but it's one of my passionate beefs, and that is um, I don't think people should back into car parking spaces, particularly when there's a sign that explicitly says, don't reverse into this car park. So front to curb only. And my experience comes from going to the Westmead Hospital in the car park. They have very tight parking spaces and it's clearly marked front to curb only and lots and lots of people, particularly in really big Land Rovers, insist on backing into those parks. And my reasoning is that they hold up the entire car park as they're incompetently weaving their way into that car park. <laughs> Honestly, mm. maybe I'm, I, I seem to be in the minority here, but I think that driving in front ways is much quicker. Is it as quick getting out though? I think mm. so. Mm. Perhaps I'm just running down small children as I back out. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Mm. I, I sometimes wonder if this is a Victorian problem and, mm. and I'm with you on this, but mm. we used to joke because I was on a border, t I grew up in a border town, so on the Victorian side and you'd go over to New South Wales and everyone was backing into the car parks and you mm. always knew a New South Welshman because they'd come across the river and they would reverse park into somewhere. So <laughs> it was sort of this like dead giveaway, you're from across the river, aren't you? It does take longer though to reverse park. It does the thing is that I've heard this argument from someone who I ex uh, I respect greatly and who's related to me, and she said that it is better for her to actually reverse in because she is really paranoid about reversing out of the car park mm. to leave. So for her, it was a kind of let's just get this hard part of it out of the way so that when I'm leaving, I'm not mm. worried about it. So I don't know. Whether that's a good argument. Mm. It comes at the cost, though, of holding everyone up at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, many years ago when I was learning to drive, which didn't happen, um, <laughs> I remember my instructor at the time was telling me that you're in driving mode when you get there, so you might as well do the difficult thing and reverse in mm. while you're in driving mode because when you come back to your car, you're not necessarily in driving mode. Make it easier for yourself to get out. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's the key word there, making it easier for yourself. There's not much yeah. consideration of the other drivers <laughs> around the place. 
I've actually never heard this as a problem. This must be just some weird <laughs> Victorian thing. I mean, what a way to distinguish people from north of the border to say, oh, you reversed him. You must be from New South Wales. It's like, look at my license plate, mate. It's pretty obvious where I'm from. <laughs> you know where you're from. Well, I've lived here for 20 years, though. And it's not something I learned here. It's just something I did out of consideration for other human beings. In, t- in terms oh, of such a considerate man, Peter. I'm really glad that you think of me when you drive nose first into a car park. Oh, no, I have no no particular personal animosity to you, but if you reverse in, I'll treat you, I'll treat you in exactly the same as the other, all, all the other morons. Um, <laughs> Sorry. It's great. I love it. Keep it coming. Everyone I've said, no, the reason I raised it is that almost everyone I've spoken to about this is actually non, like they're just completely surprised that I find this a problem. Like, no, mm. of course it's better. And that all of their arguments are about how easy it is for them personally to get out. Now, the one good argument I've heard for it is that you can, they say, you can see better coming out front ways mm. so you're not going to run over someone. Yeah. Because um, it makes it easier for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but then all of those safer small children you don't seem to mm. be worried about when you reverse out of a park. Yes. Uh, you yeah. see, I, I've never... I've never had a problem reversing. I've never hit anything reversing in, mm. you know, 30-something years of driving. So I don't I – don't, I've, I've hit it Therefore going it front ways. Therefore, it must be right. Well, <laughs> it's all about you, isn't and it? Peter? Well, yes, it does seem to be. <laughs> all right, let's – now that we've got warmed up on that one, let's let's talk about something um, slightly more interesting. I, I reckon we go to the media hype one. Cormac brought this up, but is, is the media hype actually responsible or is it just news? Well, I just had an interesting thought around uh, an announcement that came out at our um, parish uh, uh, almost a month ago now uh, before Lent had started saying, look, because of health safety concerns, we are going to ban the sign of peace. It's just not a thing. It's right. Like we and our priests now awkwardly kind of get to the, that part of mass right before the, the Lamb of God and then it's like, oh, yeah, and we skip that part. So just awkwardly drop silent and everyone kind of looks nervously at one another. Do we do something? <laughs> do we not? And then so people have now started like, half bowing to each other and just going, <laughs> yep, good, no worries. And it's, it, it's kind of, I think, representative of a, of a wider culture of almost panic around, mm. you know, the, the novel coronavirus, COVID-19 as it's called. Mm. Uh, and so one of the things I'm wondering is, are we actually unable to have a reasonable discussion around being sensible right. uh, in response to, you know, what's being marketed or marketed, but, that, you know, uh, in how we've been informed that this is a kind of a widespread epidemic almost, mm. uh, is that preventing us from actually engaging sensibly? All right. Well, so a couple of examples outside of the mass. I agree with you on the mass, but the, the passing of the piece is an optional part of the liturgy anyway, so we can we can still have a valid mass without their physical handshaking. Mm. Some of us would prefer it. But <laughs> that's another <laughs> controversial topic there. But in terms of media hype, I've seen two stories in the news recently um, that had someone pulled a knife in a toilet roll aisle. Yes, in oh, Tempe. Wow. That's and, right. And there's, that's a, there's one in yeah, Parramatta as well. Um, <laughs> okay. And that uh, someone else had been arrested um, for threatening staff in in uh, one in yeah. Queensland. Well, the police had to taser the guy. I think, yes. Get him down. About <laughs> <laughs> toilet paper. Must have been seriously good. Must have been quilted on one of those brands. Here's the thing. Superior softness in the train station. Three play. About about oh. You know, 500 metres from the place where they reported one of these incidents happened, like a knife got pulled and the police walked the person off. About 500 metres from there, I've actually seen twice in the past year the police roping off an area for a murder, like a stabbing murder, Mm. right, just in the train station. Now, that's, I would think, a more serious incident than someone, you know, getting a bit irate in the the 
toilet paper aisle, but that doesn't rate news because it's not connected to the current hype. Mm. And mm. so because it's got the word toilet paper in the thing and that's kind of getting clickbait at the moment, they sort of throw it in. Um, we probably should be asking our um, editor of the Catholic Weekly what he thinks about hype, things like this. But basically, <laughs> I think that they're actually, they're not just reporting it, it's creating the hype to some extent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a fi- it's feeding off of itself mm. at this point, isn't and it? And taking yeah. it a step further, you said, you know, the the, the uh, sign of peace is actually an optional part of the liturgy. Well, what about banning the liturgy entirely? As I read this week that South Korea has banned mass yeah. and now they've gone further, say, in the Parramatta Diocese mm. where I am, where communion on the tongue is now banned, mm. banned yeah. Yeah. Mm. entirely. Yeah. yeah, and different dioceses are, are having different approaches to this. So one diocese, and I can't remember which one it was, I was just reading lots of statements last night. One diocese said, no, we've looked into it. And we don't think that it's a problem to have communion on the tongue. Please be assured that we're using hand sanitizers yeah. and everything yep. before we do it all. Yeah. So there is actually no danger. And so the faithful should be able to receive in whichever way they want to. Mm. Well, so, I mean, it's yeah. like it's like the everyday worry of contracting the, you know, the normal or the flu, the, the yearly flu, right? If mm. you're good with your, you know, hand sanitizer, if you're good with hygiene, you should be relatively okay. I mm. mean, there are people out there that don't know how to cover up when they cough or sneeze, which I have a big I think issue. They know how. It's just a habitual, <laughs> a habitual um, fail they just choose not to, to do so. But I mean, I remember seeing just, I think it was yesterday, the day before, one of those uh, big supermarket chains put up a uh, uh, article or, or something online saying, hey, you don't, I don't know why this panic has started. You can order. You're online. shopping online yeah. and get it delivered. Yeah. Right. So, except that when you go to the sites at the moment and yeah. ask, ask for toilet paper, it says, sorry, we're out of stock. Oh, really? <laughs> it was interesting that um, a, there's a, a company I won't give the name of, but they, they advertise ethically or ecologically friendly toilet paper. And you can order, for some reason, this ecologically friendly stuff. And they advertised, oh, if you need toilet paper, we've got it. And it's not recycled, <laughs> and now they're out. <laughs> and now they're out. <laughs> and so they've had to put up a sign saying, sorry, we don't have any. <laughs> so but in t- let's play a little bit of devil's advocate. Even though we say the Eucharist is, um, well, we don't say it, we believe the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. Mm. There's still the the physical reality of the possibility of transmission of something. Like you can't just um, pour arsenic into it and, and expect it all to be Fine. Well, I've had more than one person, funnily enough, come to me and say, surely the, you know, the the fact that it's the blood of Jesus Christ, for example, when they mm. limited uh, the first, one of the first measures was taken was to only have the um, reception of the uh, host and not mm. uh, and not the blood. And uh, so someone uh, had come up to me and said, but surely, you know, Jesus would prevent that from happening, you know? <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I'm trying to explain, well, no, it's on the saliva that on, on the cup yeah. rather than in That's the right. substance Even itself. Even so, I mean, we could have a long talk about the, the accidents and substance here, but it doesn't, you know, th- there's other physical realities involved. If someone put That's some right. virus on it, it doesn't just sizzle as mm-hmm. it touches, you know, <laughs> the well, real present. But what's interesting about the way that the church approaches these things, I think, is that it's quite reasonable. We're, when you look at the way that um, we're asked to take on things like fasting and abs- abstaining from meat and everything else like mm. that, it's always very reasonable. So if you're sick, if you're pregnant, if you're elderly, then there are certain things that just yeah. you, or if you you're know, allergic you to, to wheat, you know, or if you're allergic to wheat, you know, yeah. gluten-free or you're an hosts or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So there are all of these different things. So it's not that somehow, 
everything is miraculous surrounding this central miraculous event that takes place yep. during Mass. So prudence and, and being reasonable, Cormac. But what about something that should be miraculous all the time? I'm <laughs> well, it about is. Here, the Lourdes um, pool, which has been oh, closed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that oh, was right. sad. Because, again, <laughs> yeah. hang on a second. The healing, healing waters pool, are closed. But we better close that to keep yeah. the sick people away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. right. I did find that highly problematic. And I looked over at my wall and I thought, thank goodness that a couple of my students came back from Lourdes when the water was okay. And I've still got these two big flagons of Lourdes yeah. water. So if anyone's mm. running out of Lourdes water, come to my office. And Are I'll you saying you're a hoarder, Renee? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that obvious? <laughs> now, speaking of hoarders, there's another there's another controversial one. I showed up to the local supermarket to because my family, which has 10 people in the same house, was short on toilet paper. And we showed up quite early to make sure we got some. And to be honest, the 30-plus people that were there actually were quite reasonable. And they all just wanted to get the supplies for that particular period of time. There were one or two people, and I think they were together, who did this obscene sort of run, trample over people. One person was pushing three trolleys at a time and then got, you know, I think it were 400 rolls went into one little hatch. That kind of thing is absurd behaviour. Given that the supply chains in Australia, uh, there's no breakdown in any part of our supplies. They've got just gone into 24-hour production, would you believe, in Australia? <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be no problem. We just have to wait. But anyway. What are people going to do with all those stockpiles of toilet paper? That's what I what I, <laughs> I was saying to my kids in the car this morning. One day they're going to wake up. The panic will be over and they'll look around and think, what have I done? It's going to be really great. So look at this. this look at all this toilet paper. I, I don't have to shop for this stuff again. There's a very, very... <laughs> Ever. I can <laughs> splurge. I can use twice the amount. Oh, there's some very funny posts on eBay and uh, lots of other things at the moment, which are very amusing. But anyway, let's move on from to slightly, um, slightly less controversial topics. Books versus Kindles. Renee, this was your Yeah, idea. yeah. And I thought that this was an interesting one because it's one where I can see both sides of the story. But let me just make a pitch for the book here. Okay. There's this great thing in Sydney where you, you look around and there are all of these little community library hatches and mm -hmm. there's something quite magical about opening up the, the door and looking inside and saying, oh, that's an interesting book and, you know, doing a little trade and, yeah. and all this kind of thing. And there's something about the physicality of the book and the yep. way that it can be handed on and there's the kind of history of the book that I just don't think is quite there with the Kindle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not, I'm not adamantly against the Kindle because I think that, you know, if I have to, I don't have a Kindle, but if I have to get on a long flight and I'm going to be away for a few days, uh, it's going to be much easier for me to take the Kindle with me with a bunch of books on it than it is to actually, mm. what I usually do, lug around a bunch of books to read. But there's, there's still just something about the physicality and it doesn't, a book doesn't need... Uh, electricity, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. need the, you know, like you don't have to download stuff. There's just something nice about being completely away from all of that mm, and yeah. being with a book. Yeah. You don't what have to charge it to it? be able to open it. That's right. Do, do you <laughs> yeah. guys, either of you guys have a Kindle? I do. I have a Kindle. Uh, I also have lots of books, uh, you know, so I've got a foot in both camps. Yeah. So, you know. I actually had to buy a Kindle because my wife said she can't fit any more books in the house. That's and just I wrong. had the same problem. <laughs> Sorry, Susie, but that's just look, wrong. To do a cost benefit analysis, it's far more, you know, financially mm. viable to to, you know, put money down, get a Kindle and then purchase, you know, Mm. Books, virtual books, if you like. But what happens if something happens to the Kindle? Well, then you lose everything. That's no, right, and it's all over, <laughs> right? It's on your account. It's on your account. You can actually read. Yeah. Like I've, yeah. I've actually changed Kindles and then re-downloaded from my my certain company account. So 
the, the advantage for me has been there is a whole section of our bookcase which I didn't want the children to get to because they're too young for certain sections and I'd kept because I liked the books. But now they've all gone off to, to various thrift shops and things and I just keep them on the Kindle. So that means that I have a password-protected area of things that they shouldn't be reading. Um, but also, I, as you said, I can carry it on a plane, I can yeah. do this, but here's mm-hmm. the huge advantage for me. I have a book that I need for my thesis. So I'm looking at this thing and I say, I need this book. Okay, here's where I can get it from. It's going to cost me $150. It's going to take two months to get here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or click $30. Oh, I'm reading it now. Yeah. Yeah, there is the immediacy. Yeah. And with research, that's really valuable. Mm. Yeah. But there's a but there's a counter to that in some respects to say that you can't actually throw out the book option. You can't go all Kindle. Oh, no. And it's a point my yeah. father actually made to me when I was actually just starting out. Might have been my undergraduate degree. And he said, you know, don't do this internet research thing. He's big old school, you know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, old time. What would you know? Anyway, uh, and he uh, and he said, no. The advantage of, of going into a library is that when you're looking for a book and you're going through the aisle trying to find the right one, that's the point at which you make discoveries. Yeah, right. something yeah, you right. didn't right. know that you were going to right. find. Yeah, because yeah. to research online, you have to know what you're looking yeah. for. Exactly, right. and you're always going to be limited by the quality of your search terms and then what gets spits out, and then your patience to scroll through page by yeah. page, yep. whatever the platform is. Yep. So I, I took that point of board because I found some really critical texts for my thesis uh, by walking through the library yeah. and stumbling across one yeah. and go, oh, gee, there you go. That, yeah. well, that was a game changer. Mm. So I, you know, respect to the to the book-loving people. Excellent. I don't know if we've got an argument over this one. Well, no, I think I think one of the possible aspects of this argument is, as well is the purpose of the book. Like yeah. we're talking about research here, but if we're talking about leisure, mm-hmm. I like having my fantasy book or whatever book I'm reading, you know, Pratchett, yep. just with me. And yeah. being able to flip through it, you know, I, if it's something else, then I yeah. agree with you on that. Yeah. Actually, except, and I absolutely agree, but I, except when I'm holding a huge book and I'm trying to balance it while holding a pole in the train and a coffee, and a, yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of going like, I can't hold some things. Well, then you need to just go to go to an audio book. All go one <laughs> further. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've really not got into audio books. So yeah. apparently, listening to an audio book. Does the same? They can they can map your brain, and what happens when you're listening to an audio book is the same thing as what happens when you're reading a book. Really? So it's actually the you know all yeah. of the things that we enjoy about reading are there when you listen to because wow. it's still an consumption, right? Yeah. You're still consuming the story, the process, yeah. the narrative. You're investing yourself into mm. in the same yeah. way. Except our attention span, apparently, according to some like the psychological research, is staggeringly larger. For really for, for audio. listening, yeah, yeah, yeah. This you is, can do it for longer. I just get annoyed. Far longer. As yeah. soon as they start reading, I'm, oh, well, it depends up. on who's reading. <laughs> yeah, it depends it. on the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some of them I just cannot listen to at all. Mm. But some of them, like some of the dramatized versions of right. things, are mm-hmm. just phenomenal. But I want to yeah. make this a bit more controversial because it's just not controversial enough <laughs> for me. What about we replace? All of the the Bibles and all of the lectionaries in churches with iPads, mm. and then you can have a one stop ah, shop. Ah, there's just something wrong. Book. Like if they're processing in <laughs> with the saying, iPad, I just the, think that that's uh, there's something very wrong. We have promoted Apple. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Convert would, capitalism. <laughs> here we come. The Protestants use Android. Promoting yeah, so an Apple. <laughs> the Protestants use Android. Yeah. So the, the I would say the argument against that is. I'm is, a Protestant. <laughs> I had this discussion with a priest about the breviary because I have the breviary on my iPhone because I can't, well, I've got, actually got the other books, but I can never figure out the tabs and it's easier. But he was saying there's something about an object which has been consecrated for particular use in worship mm. that you, 
you shouldn't be using something that's also used for ordinary stuff. So you don't bring a cup from the kitchen that's for right. the Eucharist and then take it back to the kitchen to we use We can it. have dedicated iPads. It's <laughs> <laughs> sole purpose. Like, it's fine. We can lock them to the... Uh, we yeah, can yeah, have yeah. to reconsecrate it every time you updated your iOS. Oh. <laughs> All the problems. It's too much work. <laughs> I'm just saying that, yeah, well, if, 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 the ho- if half the congregation can say, we are following, I'm using fake quotations here, the mass with my iPhone out. Yeah, sure you are. Uh, right. Well, some of them are. No, I believe yeah. it. I'm just being a little bit suspicious <laughs> about them. Just. All right. So um, let's move on to... Uh, Religion and politics. Um, we, the, the That's opening, not controversial. Yeah, the, see the, at all. What about at a barbecue? See, the, <laughs> I've been told many times that I'm not not fun at a barbecue because I can't do small talk. I can. It just bores me to tears. <laughs> oh, it's so energy draining. And to be honest, some people really get a lot of juice out <laughs> of a small couple of talk. introverts in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone hear that? You need to hear the sound of exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So the whole point, some people, people find it exhilarating to do small talk. And for me, it's a real effort to keep it up. And so very quickly, I have to either gravitate to the, the corner, sometimes it's the kitchen or the well well away from the barbecue where I can talk about something serious, like mm-hmm. like sport or, you know, no, just joking. Um, <laughs> but something something more substantial where I can actually get my teeth into the discussion. Like, do you have toilet paper? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or did you vote this way or that way? But, the, <laughs> but the, you, see what I'm, you see my point. So is it is it... Is there an argument that talking about religion and politics, enforcing this discussion, like bringing the discussion to someone who doesn't necessarily want to talk about it, is rude? It's interesting. I, I kind of almost like to, to flip it, you know. Wouldn't it be you know, rude to, you know, ban it entirely? Ooh. What if someone really just doesn't want to talk about it? Because I've been in certain like situations where certain kinds of opinions aren't welcome. Right. Yeah. You know, so mm. where you, you're, you're standing around a, a kitchen bench and then – it's almost like, um, and the the topic was, you know, invariably got on to what's the government doing about the climate, right? Uh, and if you didn't subscribe to the opinion that was first established, okay, let's all first agree that this is a catastrophe and yep. all this must be done, and we're all gonna none of us gonna be able to breathe in three years' time unless right. something urgent is done, and it's the government's fault and they've got to fix it, right? Mm. Do you, but don't you dare disagree was the was the kind of subtext was subtext even mm. though they looked you and go and what do you think but then all <laughs> yeah. the eyes around the room just stare at you and say yeah. you know conform or yeah. you know tell me die. how you agree with me <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right which is a way I think of stifling mm. the open yeah. and free inquiry of yeah. what discussing about politics and religion mm. should be it's not yeah. cementing my opinion above yours but rather what's the substance mm. of each of what we believe or what we think so well, sorry go ahead peter i was just going to say is it a discussion if something's ruled out yeah i'd say no mm. well it, i'd I mean, say it's a very one-sided yeah. discussion anyway. some, there are some limits that you'd look at and go um okay there's kids in the room we shouldn't talk about x and maybe there's so-and-so in the room where we will be sensitive about our discussion mm. of this thing that yeah, affected no, them personally. I can see that. But if someone's just, as a general rule, for no specific purpose, just said, I just don't want to talk about politics, um, yeah, just walk over there, dude, where they're not talking about politics, <laughs> rather than shutting me down about it. Yeah. So, Ryan, you I mean, part it. of it is also the... I guess the boundaries that people draw around their understanding of politics. Ooh. Like it's okay for me to talk about this because it's not political. And then someone else says, eh, it kind of is, right. you know. So there's that personal view as well of are we all on the same page of, mm. you know. Is or this do you mean like is? some politics, not other politics maybe? Yeah, it's like it's 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 not political to me. It's just this should be the way it is kind of thing, you know. 
Um, and then other people say, well, actually. So what I find hard in situations like this, um, you know, the barbecue where you kind of want to talk about religion and politics because it's not in your mind, is coming across people who just don't care. Mm. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't keep up with religion and politics and they just don't care. This is why... I found certain play groups terrible when I yeah. first started having kids because they just wanted to talk about baby stuff, which is fine. But I was at a play group because I didn't want to talk about baby stuff anymore. That's, what I, that's I all I was that's thinking what about the, the whole time. The purpose of baby group was to no. go and share your Cormac, baby I, I stories. I think that you should start going to some of these. Baby <laughs> yeah. groups. I've never been invited. Oh, no, no, no. so sad. Yeah, because yeah. I wanted to talk about religion and politics. <laughs> <laughs> and the baby just couldn't handle that, right? No, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to admit, Renee, when I admit to people that when, that I habitually have, I set aside the night of an election to have cheese, um, port and friends around to sit and watch the election and I'm and fascinated by the yeah. process of it, yeah. just the process of it. And I'm not, it's not necessarily partisan. I've sat in houses where they totally disagreed with me on politics, but we had a great time talking about the election. Yeah. People look at me like I've grown a second head. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because politics and religion arguably are not what life is about. No, except that except they touch that every part they of life. Touch it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you can actually go through life mm. not thinking about them. Perhaps. Mm. Um, Until they come and bite you. Yeah, yeah. But then we also don't know, know how to talk about them anymore. That's right. That's probably the point, isn't it? Yeah. That we not, it's not just that we don't care. It's just that it's almost too hard because there's so many things I have to get my head around before I can talk about That's it. right. It's actually not as difficult as we think it is, I think, though. No. Like if once, well, once you step up to the plate, you can actually have a discussion. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert. Well, I mean, that's how you learn as well, right? Through that conversation, you can actually see the different aspects of an argument of mm. a, you know. So uh, are people just afraid of looking like they don't know what they're talking about? I accept that I never know what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this fear has never occurred to me. I just talk. And if someone comes at me and tells me something different, I go, oh, I never thought of that. Mm. It doesn't, I don't have any problem with that. Well, it's important mm. to know what you don't know, right? Mm. And then to be able to ask questions and yeah, yeah, yeah I'd say that you know there's I'd, there'd be some circumstances depending on how familiar you are with the crowd, yep. you know, yeah, uh, to say well I'm actually uncertain about voicing this particular yep. view just in case it's really unpopular <laughs> and because there's a social pressure yeah. I, I want to you know but if we can't talk about it then we have a bread and circuses problem as in in the ancient Rome they used to sort of almost very cynically talk about how winning the masses over with with food and entertainment was pretty much all you needed you didn't need to talk politics you didn't need to you know impress them with your good leadership or anything all you had to do was feed them and entertain them and they'd all vote for you i like this <laughs> so now it would be what Big Macs and free Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, free Wi-Fi. If if a party offered free Wi-Fi, I, I suspect they'd win in a landslide. <laughs> um, yeah, although they've got to deliver eventually. Mm. Let's uh, let's move on to something uh, that's uh, a little bit more interesting. I just wanted to make the point though quickly about the the election night. I just thought it was a perfect opportunity to um, reuse merchandise for State of Origin. <laughs> everyone, and then when there's a random green supporter, you can go, "Oh, you're the random Souths fan." <laughs> I just thought, oh, "Great, you can." Oh, what a brilliant idea to merge like the the state of origin party night with election night. I was just right down to the color coordination. Well, here's Genius. a controversial thing: I actually go to a state of origin 
whenever there's a state of origin game, we get an invite from a mate and we go around at their house and it's great. We drink beer and have chips and watch something on the television and I get the rules explained to me again. And uh, apparently a good game happens and then we go home. <laughs> apparently a good game. <laughs> apparently. Apparently, says the, says the AFL fan. Who's, yeah. who clearly AFL is the world's best spectator sport. Well, it clearly isn't because it's a game uniquely for Australians. Well, how so is it, it uniquely be Australian? Because Australian football rules, mate. Yes. <laughs> I know people overseas who watch AFL. How many And find people? it. Well, I've met at least half a dozen. Oh, half a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> you must have searched very hard Count on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but they were really into it. They were they really into it. <laughs> so it makes up for all the unenthusiastic yeah, that's right, people. That's right. One of my, whenever I really want a, a kick with um, in when AFL's not in season, apart from rewatching all the matches of my team winning the, for the whole season. Your the, team. It's well, Tigers, isn't it? Yeah, Tigers. Yeah. As in the, the Balmain West Tigers. No, no. Oh, no. there's an AFL Tigers. Yeah, AFL I Tigers. That. I'm kidding. Yes. Richmond? Yes, yeah. over 100 years. Uh, yeah, highest membership in the AFL. But. Just saying. Just saying. No, so I'm bragging <laughs> now. Collingwood. People on the bandwagon for a winning team. No, I have seen supported them since, <laughs> since 19, about uh, 78. And it's been a long and painful journey since then. <laughs> I think they, when they won in 2017, that would have been 36 years since they won a grand final. Were you so, in a state of euphoria when they won? Yeah, I'm afraid I was. Yeah. yeah, unashamedly. And now I'm slightly ashamed that they won again in 2019 and I'm still in euphoria. I should have got it over by now. <laughs> in terms of actually watching, though, if you go on YouTube and look for AFL reaction videos, they've got like people who normally commentate on soccer or American football and they react when they first watch Aussie Rules. And the, the reaction demonstrates, I think, that it's a unique thing. It it's, doesn't exist in terms of its spectacular combination of things. I think uh, you have to be more all-round skillful as an AFL player than you do in soccer. Soccer's very refined, particular skills. Um, you'll notice I didn't say skill and rugby in the same sentence. <laughs> Is, um, were the expressions one of just utter confusion? Because uh, that's the description I've heard from people when they first said, what are they doing? Well, especially rugby. when it's a wet yes. game, right? Yes. In India, yes. so everyone's just piling on top of each other and bashing each other in back play. What are you Australians yes. on? Like, that's, the, yep. that's the vibe I get. The Americans usually say, what? No pads? As in no, no padding and the... Uh, I usually get, whoa, no pads. <laughs> yes. It's a different kind of thing. Yeah. There was an ad back in, the, I think it was back in the late 90s where they said, they had these ads for AFL and they said, I've heard of Australian rules. And then the answer was, what rules? Because <laughs> 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 it, it seemed like no offside and it just seemed like mayhem to the... And then suddenly the umpire blows a whistle and no one knows what's going on. It is a particular taste and you do have to keep up with it to understand it. But just in terms of the spectacle, it's quite amazing. I would say the crowd numbers speak for themselves on that. The average crowd being 45 or something thousand last year um, per Look, game. I can't, I can't disagree with that. And as a long time suffering rugby union fan of the, <laughs> the Waratahs, I've kind of all but given up on in some respects. Uh, yeah, you, you can't argue with crowd numbers. Union is in a state of utter disrepair and I can go on and on and on about the structural problems and the lack of investment in grassroots rugby and the lack mm -hmm. of support for, you know, public schools, for example, and being a very private school kind of Anglo-centric mm. game. So it's really yeah. about where they've situated themselves, isn't it? That's right. When you yeah. when you when you, you your biggest you know games are in, on the northern beaches, yeah, and that's rugby heartland, which is basically the 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 area that puts up walls to keep anyone out, right? Uh, you know, you've got to. I think there's a problem there, so I, I won't. Soccer's much more universal, though. You can play soccer in almost any school, and every, almost any suburb's got 
a, a soccer. Speaks to the base skill level required to play soccer, in my view. Nice <laughs> controversial opinion. <laughs> it's a beautiful sport, though. It's, it's a great it's just sport. It's inclusive sport, you know. <laughs> that's that's important. It, it is. You, I'd say it is inclusive in the genuine sense that it doesn't matter how tall or big you are. The ball's still on the ground and you still have to kick it. And, and I completely yeah. agree with that. I actually found but every time, you know, we want to get mates together or, you know, there's mixed people of ages and we want to get a game of touch footy going or yeah. backyard cricket or something, I always found when it was soccer, the most number of people participated and yeah. had a good time. Yep. It's, a, yeah. it's a great game for yeah. people to muck around with. AFL is not that. The times I've tried to get together a scratch match, it's always affected friendships. So um, do we call it soccer or football? Uh, in Australia, you call it soccer to distinguish like what's it from the, official, the four other kinds of what's, football. <laughs> what's the official world, worldwide term? It's football. If you're in Europe, football. it's football. Yeah. Okay. Because I've heard many arguments over that. In the US, they call it soccer because they call a game football, which nobody kicks it. <laughs> they kick it a little bit. They're not very. <laughs> they much. import Australians to kick it. So. <laughs> <laughs> they do this. Two of the best kickers in the in their league are Australians. Anyway, moving on to slightly less problematic things is Dungeons and Dragons, a satanic game. We've had lots of people. I, even now, I have people come at me and say, oh, oh no, isn't that satanic? When For the uninitiated, can someone describe what Dungeons & Dragons is in 25 yeah. words or less? Dungeons & Dragons Ooh. is a tabletop role-playing game. It is You get pen and paper or pencil and paper and you make up a, a kind of a character who fits into a magical fantasy world. So you make a warrior or a wizard or a, mm. or a, you know, um, a sneaky rogue type or something and they... They go on adventures and you play it with friends. And so you you play this particular character. It's like it's like a how to host a murder party yeah, right. where you take on a particular character and, and talk as if you're yeah. that character, except that you have a more of an input into what their character is at the start and, you know, how strong they are and how intelligent or wise or not that they are. And then they play, they get an adventure and there's a person who runs the game who sort of sets the scene and they you just, you compete um, not with each other, but against bosses and things. It's really just a game, except yeah. that adults play it mostly. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get into it until what, like one or two years ago. Yeah, I'm 38 this year. Um, but I mean, I ex I explained it to someone saying, "Look, this is just someone who's created a fantasy world. Yep, and you are now a character in this world. And of course, to participate in this fictional world, there are rules and regulations that you you adhere to to make sure it all works and yep. functions." Um, as, uh, you know, as a game. It's what we all did before games like Assassin's Creed and World of Warcraft were around. Yeah. Because you go into World of Warcraft, you, you are a particular representation of something and you fight the the dragon or something monster. But in when I was in high school, you did it with dice instead of a, a computer mm -hmm. sort of generating the world. It, it's really quite mundane and boring to watch if you're not playing. <laughs> so what's the argument that it's satanic? Well, there was a there was a hype in the 80s and it's still going around in some Catholic circles that um, because it includes in this fantasy world things like wizards and you know, uh, clerics and things that which do magic, that it's therefore satanic. I haven't seen the same arguments, by the way, about games like World of Warcraft that have these, these yeah. things in them. <laughs> it's just a function of the game. It's just like a fantasy setting. Or movies that have this, like the yeah. Lord of the Rings and things like that. Mm. And some people have thought that getting involved in this process um, encourages young people to to get into magic or, or you know, demon worship or something like yeah. this. But in fact, it's got about the same likelihood as, as if you happen to be, I don't know, watching a soapy 
Well, I remember someone coming up to me uh, not long ago, actually, some, sometime earlier this year, and saying, how can you be into that? It's got magic in it. Mm. And I thought, well, aren't you a fan of Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings. But, but some Although, people do say the same thing about the, Harry Potter. Not so yeah. much about Lord of the Rings, yeah. but Harry Potter. I was going to yeah. go into because yeah, I did actually mm. mention Lord of the Rings, Narnia. A lot of these stories that we're okay with. Mm. But Christians wrote them, so they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. But the, the Harry Potter one is a big one because yeah. you let your kids re- read Harry Potter. And yeah. I go, well, I didn't at first because it was really poorly written, the first couple of books. But, you know, it, I couldn't get two of my kids to read and they started reading there and they went on from there to Lord of the Rings. So, okay, whatever works. It's a gateway drug to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the things that actually got me into it, because uh, for a long time I've been in ministry and service, right? Uh, but finding out how many big famous stars and role models we see out there actually learned how to be sociable through playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Hmm. Because you have to play in a minimum of a party of that's a minimum of four people. Right. And you have to learn how to take care of each other, back each other up, know and what you teamwork. can do. Teamwork. Yeah. And also that teamwork, as you say, the social element, you have to actually get on with difficult people and right. in in like complex circumstances. So it's an interesting thing. One of the, when uh, we looked at homeschooling for our kids, one of the things you can do is role play and they don't actually specify the role playing, but role playing is, a, is a, one of the critical tools for learning. So it can actually come up in that sense. So yeah, anyway, it, some people might say it's a, a trivial waste of time. But, but that's different than saying that it's evil. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the case. Yeah. Like all things, if you if someone has some sort of problem outside of the game and they look to the game as their escape from reality, that can be a dangerous thing. It, because if you it's like if someone invests in I've heard of people um, going off the deep end when a particular TV show goes a certain way because they've invested so much emotionally in that particular mm. show as their escape that when something happens there they just can't handle it and, and they flip it's out. It's just bizarre. It is it's like someone scripted this ages ago, fellas. Like you could have mm. just called up for the script and figured out what happened. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, it is bizarre. But I can cite um, about four or five occasions in Western countries, in, in America in particular, where people have actually, you know, committed crimes after something didn't work out in an online game, and they've <laughs> they know where their their co teammate lives and gone round to their place. Oh, and yeah. done to the <laughs> online gaming is bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> Gateway drugs, gateway something else. All right, what have we got? Let's go with something even more international. Jordan Peterson. Is he good for Catholics or not? Some some of our Catholic friends have suggested that Jordan Peterson is the best thing since sliced bread and that he's all Catholics should be reading or watching Jordan Peterson. And others equally also say Jordan Peterson is kind of like the, you know, the poor friend, you know, out the door of the party who, you know, he's kind of almost fitting in but not quite because he's kind of almost there with the truth and then he's just just needs to take an extra step forward and then all of a sudden all these possibilities open up you know awesome. why read jordan peterson when you can read thomas aquinas that's an accusation i felt well mm. or some people have even gone to say he, he represents toxic masculinity neo-nazis love him so we should get rid of him entirely so it's it's not you know he's He's a divisive figure. I think, well, I th- I just find it problematic that people seem to be idolizing him. Like <laughs> by by all means, read him and then read something else. But this whole thing, Jordan Peterson is God. I think it's really problematic for <laughs> well. <laughs> for Catholic thinkers, right? So uh, there are a few like that. I mm. get that these love you know lovely students in my classroom are like, have you read Jordan Peterson? 
well, you know, I've read a lot about Jordan Peterson and I've read some of his interviews and I did try to read Jordan Peterson. I really did try and I just found it boring. Banal. Yeah. It was really banal. So, but if that's where people need to start, great. Yep. But don't say that that's like, I mean, some people, Padre Thomas Aquinas, but some people can't actually start <laughs> reading good stuff with Thomas Aquinas. So yeah. I can see why you need to start somewhere else. Yeah, and then, I hope you've you got know. another alternative to <laughs> Thomas right, Aquinas. Right. Augustine, hand them Augustine. He's easier to read for a start, right? Yeah, yeah. and that's true. <laughs> and I, but I think that's the, I was listening to Bishop Robert Barron's interview with him. And I think that was the, the I think that the point that, the bishop made that, you know, Jordan, what Jordan Peterson is at least able to do, maybe not so much with the written word, because I too have also tried to read it and I found he's way easier to listen to than yeah. he is to read. Right. I just, yeah, it's really hard to keep up. So I'm amazed at the the volumes of the sales of, say, 12 Rules yeah, for Life. I wonder how many people mm. have actually read it, though. Yeah, because I, I bought it and I tried and I was like, oh, <laughs> mate, just yeah, give I, me the... I couldn't get through it either. Yeah, so, so I know I take I take the I take the criticism. I have as our producer perhaps. Read I have read it. I have read it, but I have to I have to admit that when someone first asked me to read it and say, "What do you think of this?" I said, "I'm I'm all done for my psycho babble for this month, thanks." <laughs> and they were quite offended. They were really offended. They said, "No, this this guy is going to really cut us back into the national you know international debate and Catholics going to bring Catholics back into the discussion." I read him and I thought, look, it's good that someone's standing up to the sort of the social justice warriors who are shutting down anyone who disagrees with certain views, namely on the gender debate. It's good that someone's prepared to say to to young men, go and clean your room. But your grandmother, your Catholic grandmother could say half of these things, like shape your own life up before you whinge about everyone else's life. Go clean your room. It's the sort of thing you could yeah. be able to do. You probably could, but I think it's within a structure. And I think that Jordan's got such a, I guess, a, a very comprehensive system kind of worked out that's uh, devoid of any kind of what would be could be seen as a faith-based prejudice. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the, the benefits that he brings, this is what Bishop Barron raised, is that mm. he doesn't come from a particular tradition yeah. of thought. He's rather, I've just interrogated this stuff using all of the relevant psychological literature which people take for well that's a that's an objective view mm. then that's that's how it's being interpreted it would help uh, if he wasn't internally inconsistent though like he do, he's coming from several different philosophical backgrounds mm. in his different assumptions like he assumes this and then assumes the other thing which is contradictory even if you take his point of view it's not consistent so he he definitely coming from the psychologist point of view um look to be fair to him he never claims to be anything else he very clearly, in every interview I've ever heard him say, he says, I am a psychologist. I'm not qualified to comment on that question. Yeah, but I think that's his great strength in many respects is that mm. he goes, well, hang on a second. I haven't researched enough about that to form an intelligent opinion. So mm. I'm not going to step out on a limb and say, well, this must be what it is. Yep. He's very careful. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the, the things that I guess he has a particular, he's particularly captivated by young men or young men are particularly uh, captivated by him because there's a, they see as a non-judgmental starting point, which perhaps religion has not done, the Catholic Church in particular, not done the greatest job of saying this is how we bring people in. Right. Too much doctrine, not enough, hey, do you need a hand getting mm. in the door? It's funny, I would have put it the other way. He's actually challenging people and I think young men are responding. I don't, I'm not saying young men, he's the best thing for young men, but it seems to me that they're responding to the challenge he puts out there. Absolutely, but the challenge not because you'll go to hell if you don't do this or because Mm. this is, you know, this is what's right for you and I know best, but rather this is going to help you in your life. Right. And he's 
framing truths that have been known for an incredibly long time mm. in a way that seems to be connecting with people who are, who have not been listening right. or we haven't been doing a good enough yeah. job trying to communicate these truths to. Yeah, and in that way we would have quite a bit to learn from him, I think. In that I think respect, in if that we could sense figure is out, where he's yeah. most valuable mm. Mm. is how yeah. to reframe these truths that have been yeah. known for an incredibly long time. Yeah, yeah. and why yeah. is it that they're having such appeal? Mm. Mm. When I read it, I, th- I, I found it really hard to find something that I wouldn't have heard from my own parents, like stop whining, go and clean your room. Yes, but I think that's the thing. Some people don't have parents and grandparents who tell them this stuff. So okay. I think mm. he might be actually tapping into an audience that hasn't had that kind of guidance all along. Okay. That's one of the – I can't remember. I read about this ages ago, but it seemed to be the kind of disenfranchised youth who weren't being challenged, who weren't being told, you know, you can lead a good and fruitful life, um, sort of being given a bit of hope, but mm. hope that you work for, if that makes yeah. sense. Yep. Um, and that – that, that makes yeah, and that makes sense to me. So if you don't have that social structure, that loving family, that you know, that community that's saying, "Hey, you can do it," um, then maybe you know, some people do need a Jordan Peterson, and that might be why when we pick it up, we're just like, "Yeah," but for yeah. other people, no, they haven't heard it before. Yeah. So uh, maybe we don't need it. Sorry, Ryan. Go I was just gonna say, I, I learned I was a lobster. A lobster. <laughs> Please explain, for yeah. I have not finished the book. It was in the first chapter of the 12. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't finished the first chapter. <laughs> oh, I was just talking about how you've got the alpha male lobsters and, and how the brain chemistry in the lobster changes if in one of the battles to be an alpha, one of them loses. It changes the whole social, social structure. And the alpha starts getting this uh, particular chemical in their brain that makes them more likely to win. Oh. And the loser, it sort of like changed the mindset so they're more likely to lose. So he compares that to how we think as people about don't have that mindset set of a mm. loser. Mm. And, and mm. you know. Um, but, yeah, so I learned I was a lobster. Mm. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that's exactly Starts the kind of thing I'm talking about. <laughs> in terms of what... <laughs> What are you talking about? Am I, am I wrong? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, I think, no, I think, I right think the point of the research was he's trying to show that hierarchies exist across oh, yeah, no. multiple I got subsets that. of different yeah. species. I think that was the point he was I trying was to make. I was just dumbing it down. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's dumbed it down quite enough. <laughs> Doesn't need any more help there. Yes, All right. Last one to wrap it up on some very weighty and controversial topic. Enjoying a fine cheese is more Catholic than a Big Mac. That's my proposal. I think that that's right, Peter. <laughs> We're not. Sorry, hang on. I've already just brought in a controversial topic that no one's going to argue with. All right, let me let me come up with a counter argument. Um, we have this policy in our household that if there's an emergency, then you can go to McDonald's. But it's not actually real food. It's just like if you've just got to eat, you know. Usually, and that's because a couple of times we had a couple of emergency room trips and we sort of look at each other in the car on the way home from the emergency and say, what are we going to do for dinner? Mm. I guess it's going to have to be McDonald's because that's, you know, before we get the kids back into bed. And Mm. it's always this sense of, utter defeat. Right. <laughs> so that would be a dangerous thing in my household because I'd be starting to manufacture emergencies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I think they deliver these days yeah. too, so you can do that too. Um, but there's this sense in which I always feel guilty as a mother because I don't think it's terribly good food. Right. I look at the packaging afterwards mm. and I just feel like the worst criminal ever. Mm. And I think that all of the kind of 
capitalist modes of production going on behind <laughs> it all are extremely problematic. Uh, I'm not sure that the farming industry is really well served by a chain like McDonald's. Right. Um, and there was that book that came out a while ago and there was a documentary about it as was well. Was it Supersize Me? Yeah, that one. Oh. That one. Um where, you know, you learn just way too much about what goes into right. that food. And um, it seemed to me that if if to be Catholic is to actually enjoy the gifts of God's earth, being thankful for the way that they've actually come to your table, lovingly preparing them and serving <laughs> them up, then pretty much Big Big Macs are evil. Right. Yeah. That's and cheese said. is the opposite of that. But <laughs> that, anyway. Yeah, that's it. Ahead. I mean, we do have different health regulations here in Australia. I would still prefer not having McDonald's. Right. But we do have higher standards in terms of what we put into our food. Right. Um, so you're I saying McDonald's so you're here trust is better the than McDonald's overseas? Well, According to that guarantee tick, yes. <laughs> but, putting a lot of confidence in government regulation. But, but I do enjoy a nice cheese, especially, right. I mean, you know, there are times in, in in Catholic culture that we do stay away from meat anyway. Right. So on those particular times, yeah, definitely the cheese is more Catholic. Right. Did you see there's been a, there's been a um, controversy on social media that I took about five, five seconds to take in and then I haven't really thought about it since, but um, <laughs> is it actually ethically sound during Lent, you know, Friday during Lent when as Catholics we're not supposed to eat meat, um, to go for one of those burgers that tastes like meat but oh, isn't meat? That was a really yeah. interesting the kind of – there is how much it costs. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> You've looked into this further well, they than cost I have. more. I mean, yeah. you're right. So, in other words, if it tastes exactly the same, are you really doing a penance? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't taste exactly the same. No? I mean, you can't eating get, it is awful. Yeah. But the discerning mm, taste. It's a genuine, it's like, you know, I'm going to have penance by eating sawdust or something like that. I've got a friend who's really into this stuff and she does lots of research on this and she found a product that was just like bacon. And I was thinking... <laughs> Mm. Is that like it's just like butter? It tastes like butter, you know that. Yeah, no, no, no. We just. <laughs> <laughs> I would say my, the reason for putting this topic here was more about the. Um, it was actually a different angle. G.K. Chesterton has a whole essay on cheese, which I strongly recommend mm. to people. His essay on cheese is actually not so much about the quality of the food. He says the homogenized nature of some food, packaged food. Mm. is, is anti-principle um, pr of subsidiarity and it destroys the kind of local feel of things, mm. the local production. But also he said on a particular trip, he opens up the essay with on a particular trip across England, he went through a whole bunch of districts and they each had a local cheese yeah. and it was an expression of their local yeah. thing and mm. you couldn't get it in the next place. You had to go there to get it. When I was in Adelaide, there was a particular cheese right there and we used to go and visit there and mm. that was a just an amazing experience. We still try and get it whenever we go back there. But in terms of McDonald's, it's kind of the, the just the standard sameness of it, which mm. ha probably is why people are attracted to it. When well, it's, it's quite comforting, option. isn't it? Yeah. If you're traveling around and you're not really sure, well, at least you know that it's probably going to yeah. be okay mm. if you go to Macca's. But yeah. the quality of it and the quality of the experience of getting something local mm. is, is kind of, I think, a bit more authentic. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who's recently come back from uh, overseas, uh, somewhere in Asia, and he was there for two weeks. And I just asked him, I asked him, at what point did you break and and want to eat something other than Asian food? Ooh. And he said, oh, I got into halfway through the second week and I just had to have McDonald's. <laughs> really? Because I wanted something that wasn't 
to Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why, of course, enough. he went to Asia in the first place. Right? <laughs> I, I had enough about uh, over the noodles and the rice, and I just wanted something that was steak or you yeah. know meat. I went in. I went to New Zealand with my son, and the first thing he ordered was McDonald's. Like we're in a different country, get something a bit more local. Not that New Zealand is that, you know, that exotic. <laughs> exotic, yeah. But he went to, while we were there, he at least had one visit to all the major food chains. So, um, oh. yeah, it was a bit different. This is an experience I had. I went to a local Thai place in New Zealand and they had a sign up which said, they didn't have like a menu. They said, this is what chili can do for you. There's a list on their window. Chili cures flatulence cares for, for your eyes, relieves flu symptoms. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not going to read some of these because they actually get relieves pain, increases your appetite and cures sore throat um, and your blood pressure. They had all these lists yeah. of claims about chili. That was a bizarre restaurant. When I asked them to prove this, I got a long lecture from the from the guy who was actually in the store and he was trying to tell me all the health benefits of his, his chili and mm. um, the Thai food and all this stuff. It was bizarre, but that is an experience now I take yeah, away. Which you would never mm, have by walking into Macca's. The mm. McDonald's people barely know what food is, like, as in the people working there just serve it. They literally yeah. just take it out of there and deliver it. So you don't have that same interaction. That said, I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate here anyway, but I mean, the the uh, the menu in Philippines or McDonald's is very different as well. So they got different countries have different menus. It's like just a lot more chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that and spaghetti, <laughs> and they've got root beer on the oh, menu. Yeah. Well, in Belgium, they had beer, beer on the menu. <laughs> 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 that was good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, that's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking and hopefully arguing with your podcast device, let us know. You can contact us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Discord, or any of your social medias. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website website thiscatholiclife.com.au you can tell us what you liked and what you didn't like or give us a suggestion for a future argument oh, sorry episode um, <laughs> info at thiscatholiclife.com.au be sure to write us a review on itunes and remember that this is a uniquely australian catholic podcast we think that's an idea worth getting behind before we go it's time for shout outs ryan i'll kick off with you i'm going to say a shout out to all of my catholic friends who play dnd because <laughs> there you go. Four of them, right? <laughs> At, least <four. laughs> At least four. At least four. the asterisks. It's the guarantee box. <laughs> uh, I'd actually like to give a shout out to the... Uh, young families at my parish at St Finbars in Glenbrook uh, who are getting together and have started trying to do things like formation around uh, in the lead up to Christmas for, for Advent and now formation during Lent is really trying to kickstart things. I think that's another thing worth getting behind yeah. and parishes should do more of that. Awesome. I'd like to thank all the book lovers out there. Keep at it. Nice. I'm going to say thanks to all my friends who disagree with me regularly because they're still friends, and yet it's so much fun to have a friendly disagreement. So, on that note, thank you all for listening and disagreeing with us, and thanks for listening to This Catholic Life. Mm-hmm.